How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. You're off on holiday. Supposedly. I feel honoured to be the last vaguely work-related thing for your holiday. <laughs> well, the good news is um, that we get to talk about something um, that we don't actually talk about too much in a way, which is it's not really transfer gossip or or contract um, renewals generally, but it's it's actually, I think, a lot of the, the numbers and theory and practicalities behind it, which I thought was... Um, um, a nice, uh, a nice one for us to discuss, maybe before or after Salah signs a new deal or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is, it's a really kind of interesting story because everything. It's one of those examples where I think everything seems quite hunky dory at the club. You know, Liverpool obviously doing so well at the moment. He's scoring loads of goals. It's almost like why, why would a player leave in that circumstance? So there's like a lot of kind of competing or not competing, but just things to pick apart. So I think we'll spend, we'll have it into it. Um, but I think, I think maybe the best way to start is just providing a bit of a, bit of an overview on Salah. Um, and I am indebted to Arel in our team here, who's kind of pulled together some, some bullets for me on uh, Salah's performance in the last kind of year, two years for the club. Um, and hopefully this will kind of set the scene for, um, the discussion we're going to have around the contract renegotiation is value to the team and so on. Um, but just taking high-level high picture on Salah's performance um, over the last four or five years or so, he's contributed 39% of Liverpool's league goals um, since um, since joining Liverpool in 2017, which is the sixth most in the big five leagues in that time. Um, and the, the, the other names like Lissa, Aspas, Messi, Immobile, Kane and, and Ben Yedda, but if you think about the level that Salah's at, you're really comparing him to Messi and Kane there. Um, it's a kind of staggering proportion of reliance that Liverpool have had on him in in that time. Um, and it's you know clear that he's been such a central player. We'll get on to the kind of replacement cost in a bit, but nearly nearly you know you're watching forty percent of the the league goals and assists coming from from one player is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, and then if we're talking about Salah's peak, are we have a model that essentially rates every player in, in world football on this kind of single scale. Um, and we rate him, I'd be interested to get your view on this, Dan, but at um, at his peak, we rated Luis Suarez only marginally better than Salah, but essentially Salah almost performing at the same level as what Luis Suarez for Liverpool. And I, so I don't know what your view on it is, but for me, I think Suarez was the kind of most genius player Liverpool have had in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and the fact that Salah has been performing at that level consistently for such a long period of time is is pretty pretty incredible, um, and yeah, kind of testament to the to the impact he's had. Um, and then if we break down just in terms of the the sheer numbers um, this season, he's been scoring about 0.6 non penalty goals per ninety, which is pretty much in line with his xG. So someone normally scoring that rate of goals is normally outperforming their xG, but the fact that he's getting into so many good scoring positions is, is incredible. Only Jota and Vardy have high rates this year, and obviously Vardy's been in and out of the, the Leicester team a bit with injury. Um, and he's almost matching um, Lewandowski, who is kind of almost, well, he's pretty much peerless Lewandowski this season in the big five leagues, but Lewandowski is, is a different type of player. He's also playing, you know, in a league where the, the quality is lower. The, the week in, week out by Munich are playing weaker quality teams than, than what Liverpool are. So for Salah to be in that, in that company's is pretty remarkable. Um, and then a, a few more final stats against attackers in the big five leagues this season. Salah's in the top five percentile for non-penalty XG, non-penalty goals, shots on target, actions that lead to a shot, touches in the penalty area, dribbles that lead to a shot. You know, he's, he's right. Um, you know, he, he, there's, there's almost no matching him um, apart from, as I say, Lewandowski um, this season. And I think you can make a very fair case for him being the best player in the, in the league um, this season and, and 
and well and probably for the last kind of five years on average as well so yeah hopefully that kind of sets sets a scene on um where Salah is today and we can get into what that's worth in kind of monetary terms but also what that's what that's likely to be in the future um but I think easy argument to make at the start that, that Salah is um almost peerless in world football at the, at the moment and I think Omar the interesting thing that I was thinking about and we were talking about in preparation for this is you talked about um uh Salah effectively peaking at the same sort of levels of Suarez. One of the points, I guess, is, you know, Salah is 30 come June. Um, Are there any benchmarks or um, data points around whether um, we actually think that Salah, number one, is peaking at present um, or will start to deteriorate enormously? I remember there's a phrase someone called melting, where where strikers historically do start deteriorating around that 30 age bracket simply because... um, well, um, their pace can't be what it was. And in a way, I remember reading an article for Athletic, which is um, overperformance in the year of a contract renewal period then leads to a decline potentially afterwards. So are we seeing almost a double situation where Salah is actually already at his peak, um, maybe at the pinnacle um, of, of individual performance and team performance, mixed with obviously wanting to perform very well in order to gain and garner that last lucrative um, deal, which would presumably take him to 33, 34 years of age. Yeah, so historically players have, you know, strikers' goal-scoring rates have peaked, probably actually even younger than 30. Normally it's around like 26, 27, and then it starts to decline and then drops off in, in the 30s. I think the one thing, and this is probably more anecdotal in, in the data at the moment, the one thing I've noticed in the last you know, five years or so is that players do seem to be performing better for longer. So we mentioned Lewandowski, Messi, Ronaldo, they're all still performing at, a, at an incredibly high level and actually a big share of, you know, even Kane, um, who is, I think, late 20s, maybe 30 now. Um, you know, if you look at the world, Ballon d'Or list of players, the average age of that list has gone up in the last over a kind of decade. And maybe that's just a generational a group of generation players that we've, we've had come through that happen to have been exceptionally good but you know football is the global game and I, and I don't think it's entirely that I think there is an element of players are sustaining for longer and so we, we do projections on players um, and in our models we're still estimating Salah to decline gradually like you might expect and still be a top 10 player in the world in the next two years in, in the next three years probably a top 20 player in the world so you know, obviously those those players come at a premium, a top 10, top 20 player in the world. Um, you know, there's only maybe one or two available each summer, um, if that. Um, so Liverpool would do well to kind of keep on to him if, if that is the true trajectory. Um, but the big question is, from Liverpool's perspective, is it worth it? And actually, is there a player who isn't in the top 20 in the world at the moment, but under Klopp's wing and under Liverpool's system could be in two, three years and actually come at a, at a much lower cost? Uh, so I was going. I was going to ask you, Dan, what, how, how have we got to this stage? You know, there's there's pretty much a year left on the deal. Um, you know that there's, you know, there's obviously been back and forth on the contract, and there's been a bit of stalling. But why do these things take as long as they do? And, and what are the kind of considerations both sides have had in this in this negotiation? It's a great one, and you know, I'm not not obviously involved in the deal, um, uh, but I think you know my experience of seeing how these types of negotiations can work in practice. I think obviously the the perceived wisdom has always been um, 
the longer you can draw out a negotiation or an agent can draw out a negotiation, which brings, um, uh, you know, one of the elite players in world football closer to be able to move on transfer or sign a pre-contract in the January before um, uh, before the June, i.e. next January, before potentially being a free agent next summer. Um, it obviously creates greater leverage um, to be able to then, you know, be a year left on their deal and for, for the club Liverpool to have to make a decision on whether to cash in um or you know run the contracts down for the other for the subsequent year effectively what psg i guess are doing with um are trying to deal with with mbappe right at this moment but obviously the jeopardy is that, that mbappe can leave for free um very soon now i think the thing that we talked about in, in prep for this which leads into a few other areas omar was um you know effectively that there needs to be um you know, a best alternative position for Salah and his agent, which is where else would he go? And I think there also needs to be um, uh, an additional position, which is, is he best suited to Liverpool's system uh, playing the way he does and the setup effectively um, to, to benefit that inside right channel that he's obviously played at such a high level with and within for such a period of time. So, um, you know, the, the traditional leverage perhaps isn't quite as much so because the alternative of where they can go, where he could go, which goes into a second the value of him and, and or the replacement value that we'll talk about, maybe isn't there. So, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona are in very different places. Madrid looking like they want to either go for Haaland and or Mbappe if they can get both, which would be pretty miraculous. Barcelona not in the same financial position um, as they have been, uh, but still trying to spend decent monies. Um, you know, um, Munich, would they be somewhat of interest for Salah? And outside of that, then, you know, it's really, I guess, Manchester City um, as the alternative, which I don't, I don't think Liverpool would sell Salah. Um, certainly inside his contract obviously wouldn't have any say if he left which then I guess leads to the the, the negotiation that's ongoing so I've had a few interesting chats with my brother basically <laughs> over the last few weeks on exactly this point of um, you know Salah and, and how much is he worth to Liverpool and how much is it worth to renew him on what figures so if we're you know, talking around what appears to be £400,000 per week gross to renew. My my brief figures that I was thinking about in terms was, you know, four four hundred per year, £400,000 per week per year is basically just over £20 million um, gross salary. Um, that's not including any potential bonuses or whatever else it might be. But let's just say that that figure is inclusive of particular bonuses to get to that £400,000 a week number. There's also been reports, and I'd be interested, Omar, in your views on this, about whether actually the deal on the table or might be the deal on the offer um, on the table might actually only be a two-year extension, which means actually it's a three-year deal in total. And that obviously agree, reduces the club's liability. So if it's a three-year deal at 21 million, then we're effectively at just 60 for 60 million for um, his three-year gross wages. Now, that's obviously might not include loyalty and signing on fees, which I just maybe put equated to 10 mil potentially over those three years. And there might be, let's just say, another, you know, eight to 10 million pounds worth of agency fee in truth. So I, I took more or less the, the, the 400,000 pound a week figure for three years to equate to around 80 million pounds gross in terms of liability um, on Liverpool. Now, could be way off, could be somewhere round about that figure, might be um, too low or otherwise. But if we take that 80 mil figure and add it to his, what would probably be, I guess, his replacement value, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that trying to get a, um, you know, a, 
decent striker, uh, like, for example, a Jota, and finding someone that could be comparable as we talked to what Salah's numbers could hit, you know, you're talking extremely conservatively at something around a 50 or 60 million pound transfer fee. And then what we're talking about is probably, I guess, for an up and coming, but very good young, younger striker around 150,000 pounds a week minimum or otherwise. So, you know, what 150 grand a week works out as is about 8 million pounds, uh, which then takes it to the early 30 millions over a three or four or over a four year period that I said. So effectively, you know, what we're actually talking about is to try and actually find someone to replace Salah, even though he is obviously getting at his peak at almost 30 now, with a £50 million transfer fee and £150,000 a week gets everyone to the same amount. So I, I was really interested, maybe, Omar, on your thoughts on the, the how much Liverpool would be valuing him at, whilst the calculation is obviously still taking into account what would be the replacement value and how much of a liability then would be Liverpool to go out and find someone that could be at a comparable level. Yeah, that was, was really interesting listening to kind of breaking down the numbers and I appreciate it's kind of a little bit back of a back of an envelope um, calculation. But I think the other dynamic as well is Liverpool will be weighing up is what if you sell this summer, what transfer fee can you get to then reinvest to, to offset that, that replacement cost. So there, there's a lot of moving parts, I think. The obviously the 400 um, 400k a week figures being bandied round and kind of estimates globally of, of what players are earning. Yeah, you know, there's not many players on on that level of salary. You're talking about um, the likes of Neymar, Ronaldo, Bale on his contract at Madrid, Messi, uh, Mbappe. Um, okay, maybe someone like Holland will will be earning like that, earning something like that when when he moves, but. Essentially, Salah's saying, I deserve to be in that bracket of players. And, and based on the numbers that I mentioned at the top of the um, the discussion, it's almost difficult to argue with that. I think the main challenge that Liverpool have um, as it relates to Salah is then every other player wants to you know, follow in Salah's footsteps. So if you're Virgil van Dijk, you can make a reasonable case, um, probably not a, a cast iron case, but certainly a reasonable case that you, know, you're, you have the same value to Liverpool as, as Mo Salah. And suddenly you're talking about a player who's on probably around 200k a week at the moment, moving up to you know, 300, 350, whatever it is. And, and suddenly every player in the squad is wanting a 50% increase on, on their salary. And that you realise why clubs run into, into problems. Uh, but it is interesting what Liverpool's strategy has been over the last um, kind of four or five years with the success of this team is that they've not invested super heavy in, in transfer fees. They've invested a lot in wages. Their wage bill... Uh, when they won the league, which of course kind of incorporates bonuses, I think I'm right in saying was the second highest in the division um, behind either Man City or Man United. I, I forget, but it, it essentially reflected the extent to which Liverpool have invested in the in the wages of the squad as opposed to the transfer fees and, and bringing players in, as as you described there. I think the other bit of of kind of maths that Liverpool will be doing is that maybe you sell Salah and you don't replace him. Um, you just kind of um, you let him go this summer um, because you can't agree a deal. And obviously we're talking here as if they haven't agreed a deal, whereas by the sounds of it, it sounds like they, they have done, but let's, let's go through the, the scenario because obviously that's what Liverpool have been doing probably over the last few months on Salah. Uh, and you begin to do some analysis of with and without Salah and, and trying to calculate what that delta is. Um, and we've, we've got a model to do that as well. Um, and our model suggests that, Liverpool's replacement level players, so a Firmino, a Luis Diaz, who's obviously come in and done really, really well, are probably about two points per season worse than than Salah, which never sounds like much. And I, we've probably I've probably spoken about this on on this show before. Around, 
you know, the, the delta between players in, in a squad and, and two points not sounding like much between players. But when you break down the maths of how much a goal is worth and, you know, if, if Liverpool took off two um, two points of all their players in their squad, then obviously you're talking about, you know, winning 20, 30, 20 to 30 fewer points in, in a season. Um, so two points off Salah uh, for a Firmino and Diaz. And also, you know, in the context of this current title race, Liverpool are two points further back. They're, they're probably they're probably not going to topple Man City, whereas with Salah, they, they have a chance. So that's all going into um, into the maths. Um, and, you know, losing Salah wouldn't knock Liverpool out the Champions League places. A, a cynical view of that would say, you know, as an ownership group, well, then what is the value of, of Salah? Um, you know, it, it won't knock us out of Champions League places. There's no marginal, significant marginal revenue for for winning the league, so you know maybe we're we're happy to to take the the money and run. Uh, that would be the, the cynical view of it. I think the the more romantic and certainly the the better way to kind of appease the fans is is to try and agree some kind of deal um, to get it done. Um, but but what what are the considerations around the squad? Because we, we've spoken there around what other players will want. What are some of the things that you could do around the contracts as it relates to bonuses? As it relates to what other players might have in their contract as related to to the other players in the squad what are the other considerations Liverpool might have in this process yeah it's a, yeah, it's a good point Omar I think you know yeah I, I talked before about some sort of high level numbers that we both did but I think we, we, we know based on our experiences and what's been reported over the last few years as well is the sort of model Man City you know Liverpool um, Chelsea United and others have moved towards um, a sort of more uh, variable, um, fix, fixed and, and, and variable pay structure. So that whilst it might, if we just take, if we sort of deconstruct that £400,000 a week, um, that £400,000 a week might actually be, you know, £200,000 a week, um, but then include um, a very hefty appearance and win bonus, for example, that are relatively obtainable and attainable because Salah obviously plays and Liverpool generally win matches at the moment um, and then potentially some um, um, guaranteed bonuses which might be loyalty and signing on fees um, which effectively mean that um, it might be possible to market the deal as a £200,000 a week deal but with some very obtainable um, variable pay um, in various different ways which effectively keeps some dressing room harmony now ultimately it might be that um, you know all in it becomes close to that 400 figure but again, that the, the issue that we talked about wasn't the Omar, which was effectively what is guaranteed pay, what is um, relatively obtainable pay by way of bonuses, and what are then our actual variable stuff effectively qualifying for Champions League, winning the league, winning the Champions League, winning Club World Cup, winning, um, you know, um, it might be Ballon d'Or or it might be, you know, a top goal scorer or other types of club um, um, performance bonuses as well. So I think the first thing on, um, on that is there's lots of considerations as to which brackets Salah might go into. I think it's obvious he's going to go into the top bracket. And as you mentioned, because quite Liverpool had a pretty productive summer window, not necessarily in bringing in huge amounts of players, but renewing some of the really big players, Van Dijk, Henderson, Trent, Allison, I think as well. Robertson, I think, might have done as well. Fabinho, if I remember correctly, as well. So they had a very, very good um, renewal window, if I remember correctly. And I think what that means is, you know, I've only heard of this before. I haven't seen it in particular contracts, but there have been instances of been reports of where, um, you know, a top player might actually have a, 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 a most favoured nation clause in which effectively states that if someone earns more money than them, that they automatically go up into that figure. Now, I'm not necessarily convinced that Van Dijk or Alisson or Henderson or anyone else would have potentially had that. But I think the disharmony of potentially having such wide disparity 
um, could be potentially um, yeah an issue within within the camp. And I think the other two things that I was thinking about there as well, which is you know the first is you know Salah at the same time isn't going to stay at Liverpool forever. So at some point, I presume he's either going to be transferred away with a transfer fee or is going to leave on a um, on a free or a negotiated transfer, um, which means that whoever is going to then um, buy or employ Salah is going to have to take on, you know, significant wage liability, just as I guess United are at present um, with, um, uh, with, with, with Ronaldo, for example. So I think the, the question necessarily is, firstly, what can Liverpool cope with in truth? How can they segment that salary with bonuses in different ways? And how they can keep a dressing room probably um, a bit happier by um, uh, by segregating particular amounts? And I think the last thing more generally to state is, obviously, we said, I think we've said it before, Emma, haven't we, is that ultimately, you know, the longer that the negotiation goes on without a deal being struck, the more Salah is missing out on his larger amounts and the more actually, conversely, that the club is saving. And that's effectively, I think, what happened with sort of Gini Wijnaldum to a degree, is that in the end, you know, actually the amounts that Wijnaldum may have wanted um, because he was negotiating and for so long, the agent was negotiating for so long, meant that by not signing a deal 18 months ago, for example, or a year ago, he probably could have missed out on several million pounds worth of additional salary, which he and or his agent felt like they needed to recoup potentially somewhere else. So the longer this drags on, in a way, it's better for Liverpool to a degree because Salah's on um, the, the, the current amount that he's on, whatever that is. Um, but that's obviously a way to be able to ultimately, in a way, have some saving. But again, as we talked about, his value by way of, let's say, that £80 million renewal is probably comparable with what Liverpool would have to pay by way of replacement value. Um, and sometimes that means that if he is at the peak of his powers and you know the, the risk of transfers going wrong is quite high, it seems like a little bit of a no-brainer to, to re-sign Salah up. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to think about it from Salah's perspective as well because I think often it's thought about from, from the club's perspective and that, that missed salary makes sense. And, and the point around... You know, what if he does go to another club? Will he perform as well? Because we've seen players leave Liverpool, and let's think of the you know the top players that have left, left Liverpool in the Klopp era. So, um, when Aldum's one, um, Coutinho's another, um, maybe to a lesser extent, someone like Emre Chan. You know, none of them have done anywhere near as well at another club as they've done at Liverpool. Um, and I think that's testament to the environment that Klopp's created to get the best out of the players, but also the fact that they are a team that are greater than some of the parts. Um, and, and therefore, you know, who's to say if Salah does go to another club, um, he would be as, as successful, um, might win trophies and he might earn more, but, you know, would it would it quite be the same? So I think that's one thing that may come into his into his thinking. I think the other, um, the other thing I was thinking about um, was whether Salah might, you know, you spoke about the, the, the other options in the market at the moment and it's such a unique situation this summer because you've got Mbappe and Holland, who are two of the best, you know, 21, 23 year olds, you know, arguably in history that are somewhat available or certainly in the market um, this summer. And that creates, you know, a market for these players that Salah is competing against. Again, very few buyers for these, this level of player. So does it actually make sense for Salah to, you know, run down his deal? Because actually in, in 12 months time or in, in 15 months time, whatever it is, the market will be very different and actually you can, you know, take your chances because Holland and Mbappe probably would have made their moves and they'll always be, you know, he'll probably be the prime 
um, you know, prime target in that window. So even if he's not this particular summer, actually next summer he might be. Um, and maybe it makes sense, you know, for Liverpool or, or for Salah to extend for one year or all year so that you've got that little bit of little bit of flexibility around um, the ability to move. So there, I, I just think that he's almost, it's not this, it's been timed badly because he has no control over this, but it's kind of a, an odd timing in the marketplace for Salah because of those, the presence of those two particular players. I think it's a great one and look we'll see in the next uh, day or two I guess um, whether there is um, something imminent um, uh, but it would in a way make sense to a lot of degree um, but again um, you know Liverpool with five forwards effectively um, even though some might not be here um, longer than maybe summer or next summer um, it feels that um, again one thing we haven't quite talked about but maybe we can talk about another time is if Salah does sign what does that mean for Firmino and uh, and Mane in different ways, um, especially with both of them with one year left on their deal, the same as, as Salah. It seems like all the emphasis and um, spotlight is put on him first, although probably you would argue over the time period, Firmino especially, as well as Mane, have had um, significant impacts in maybe slightly different ways. Um, but again, um, the, the sum being um, greater than the parts being certainly the case. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if um, Salah may actually benefit from not being at the World Cup next uh next summer as well because it's always difficult to, to impress with, with Egypt um, given the you know, relative quality to Liverpool but yeah we'll have to see I think as, uh, as fans you, you wanted to re-sign and uh, as, uh, as anal- analysts as we are in this circumstance we're just kind of intrigued by the dynamics of it all Great to chat and um, let's see how Liverpool get on this evening Absolutely enjoy your holiday mate Cheers take care Thanks for listening you can follow me on Twitter TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.